Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of Only Stupid Answers, the best damn podcast you can put your ears in to DJ, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I am great. I'm very excited because we're going to talk about space today, and I've been uh, I've had a space kick for uh, the past couple of months, and uh, you know that I can't shut up about it. Yes. And I'm most excited because we're doing a little crossover today with a podcast that I'm a big fan of. We have the lovely Steve Ward on the line, straight from New York. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty great, guys. I'm very excited to be here. Very dis- excited to be described as lovely. That's no. very nice. Hey, I mean, it's true. Yeah. Uh, and you have oh, a lovely thanks. podcast called I yes. Need My Space. I do, yeah. Um, it is a great little podcast about um, the biggest thing uh, we know of, which is uh, space and the universe. And uh, we like to explore it sort of one big question at a time. Uh, it's great. We get a lot of really interesting guests from astronauts um, who have been to space to people that, you know, we had this great guy uh, on the other day who is a NASA's chief sniffer. He has to make sure that oh, no way. Uh, anything going to space doesn't smell because it would be very disruptive to the astronauts because smells don't dissipate in the International Space Station. They get recycled. So the That's air is recycled, I mean. So we, we try to cover every single corner of space and the idea that everyone has a place uh, in space. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's really cool. It gives some very interesting insight from the, the micro to the macro. I like that you started that with space is the biggest thing that we know of. It started me thinking about, like, what's what would we what would we discover that's, like, space XL. Ooh. Yeah. Space, what's but more of it. I called Devs on that totally. podcast. We'll do that one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, who but knows? Yeah, <laughs> you had astronaut uh, Mel- uh, Leland Melvin on, and I, uh, yes. I definitely had a big fanboy moment. Listen to that episode at least twice because he is oh, a lovely great. man. <laughs> he is- yes, he is. He is very lovely, very kind. That was very cool. Uh, but what uh, started your love of space? What was like the the little catalyst? I don't know. I think it goes back as kind of far as I can remember. I was always fascinated by it. I think definitely my entryway into being a true space enthusiast um, is definitely film. Um, my parents uh, were big film. Big. They weren't in the film industry, but they were very into movies, and we went to go see a lot of movies. And I think I just sort of connected with um, with science fiction right away and the idea of traveling. And it was actually, I saw 2001, which we're going to talk about today, at nice. a very young age. And I think that unlocked... It, it was. It is science fiction, but it is sort of based in this reality of like our solar system, and it seemed like, oh, maybe this is kind of what it would really be like out there. Um, so film was definitely why I got into it, and I think just, you know, that that feeling that I, I, I remember the first time I had it where I was maybe 10 or 11, where I really realized that like space is infinite, and it goes on forever, and you can't imagine it, and I can remember just getting this feeling in my stomach of like delight and terror. <laughs> <laughs> and I think since then I've always just been obsessed with like thinking about space and what's out there and and uh, I know I will never get to the bottom of it but it's such a fun mystery to just sort of constantly have uh, in the back of your brain all day so it, it definitely um, uh, influences almost everything I do now I, I, I try to look at things from a universal perspective what if you did get to the bottom of it what if you're like oh I guess that's it 
We figured it out. We figured out space. That was all the that was all the space there is. I guess we're done now. You get to episode it, thirty, yeah. and you're just like, oh, yeah. I guess oh, we're done. We did it. Oh, sorry guys. Yeah, yeah I, I guess. Yeah, I'd have to start talking about something else then. Right? Congrats, everybody. We saw you got to get the space XL then. Uh, I uh, yeah, yeah, space XL. Yeah. If we do solve it, it probably there would definitely be something beyond it. Yeah. So we'd we'd move into that. Yeah, I uh, need my negative space. Or... There it is. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's uh, it's wonderful to be able to like nerd out about a love of space because I remember yeah. as a kid, um, we are going to be talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey. That is the theme of today's episode and really kind of oh, diving I didn't into give it, it away. And, breaking, and breaking into it. And I'm excited. Uh, when you said first movie you watched that got you excited for space, I was like, I hope there's a more important movie that inspired me, but it wasn't. And I just had to Google what it was. It is Space Cowboys. <laughs> came Classic. out in 2000. <laughs> it stars Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. Donald Sutherland. It, it's just old guys. I don't know why the old guys yeah. have to go into space, but they do. I, they do. I don't know why either. I would assume there's some sort of like mission that they they're the only ones that know how to fix this old piece of technology i've never seen it but that would be my guess mm-hmm. that is exactly that's exactly what it is it is uh, oh, a really a failing satellite they have to go up there and fix it uh and i think one of them dies on the moon or chooses to like go and die on the moon Classic. or something oh, that's yeah. cool what a happy ending so see, yeah i right? got a question question for you. you've been talking about sure. space for a while now it sounds like mm-hmm. been on your mind what what space fact uh, uh hurts your brain the most Ooh, uh, this is one that I've brought up on the show, and it's a theory more than anything else, but it's the idea of death by black hole and spaghettification. Yup. Explain um, that which, a little bit. <laughs> so spaghettification is so, you know, when you enter the event horizon um, of a black hole, the, the, it, it, the gravitational pull is so intense, it's pulling in light mm-hmm. um, and space-time itself. So the idea is if you did get pulled into it, your body would sort of turn and get pulled into a very, very, very long strand of spaghetti. Uh, it would cool. sort of look like that. But while that happened, as you were experiencing it since time uh, is relative and since time and light are being sucked into this as well, you would, if somebody was watching you being sucked into the black hole, you would just seem like you were sitting on the event horizon for like millions and millions and millions and millions of years. But your perspective of it would be in your time as you perceive time. So you would see, this is a theory now, but they say you would see the universe itself just spinning and dancing um, as if you, you know, because stars are constantly moving and galaxies are colliding into one another. And you would just see it as this sort of dance of stars and galaxies and everything. And you'd probably maybe even see the end of the universe. Huh. That is a little big. That is not what happened in Interstellar, I'd like to point out. <laughs> That's not what happened in Interstellar, no. There was a, apparently the end of a black hole is behind a bookshelf or something. Yeah. I couldn't really figure it out. But what yeah. a lovely, mm, not lovely message. Cool. Yeah. A little, it just I, was convenient. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah totally. I, although yeah. I don't know if that was a black hole. I think maybe it was supposed to be a, was it a black hole? That I don't was remember. A black, that yeah, was, that was a black hole. Well, right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a fun movie. Yeah. Definitely. And I've yeah. heard there is a theory, and you can correct me on this, Steve, is that if you were to turn around as you were falling into it, you could see the entire universe in front of you, like it, the way space would warp around you, oh, your, perce- your that is, perspective of it. Yeah, that is very cool. I think it would be like... 
equally horrific, but the best way to die. It w- I mean, if I could, like, I've always said, like, if I was going to die, just, like, if I die, go ahead and just shoot me up into space. Not my ashes. No. I, wanna, I yes. want, like, a kid in, like, 50 years yeah. to point his telescope at Saturn, and you just see me in, like, a clown costume with some balloons just floating by. And, like, and everyone's like, wait, what is it? And it's like, it's your old pal Sam. <laughs> One day I'll eventually, yeah. like, hit a star, or I'll get just pummeled by meteorites or something. But, like, yeah. it, it, you wouldn't, it would be a good way to go. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't decompose per se, but you definitely would. You know, there'd be a lot of space debris and dust that would end up tearing you apart, but you'd probably float around for a very long time. Swiss so cheese comes to mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I Ooh, think it yeah. would be uh, a good way to, a good prank for the kids in the future. I think that'd be a good way to leave my mark on the universe. Uh, but Just traumatize some child with a telescope. I love it. I would love, hey, you know what? It's always fun to like scare my nephews. So that'd be like the perfect way to scare all nephews forever and ever. Yeah. Amen. But really quick, guys, we want to do a quick plug to a new show we launched yes this. it's been a week now you can actually <laughs> listen week. if you listen to last week's episode you'll hear the very first episode the premiere of yes. hard to say goodbye this is our brand new game of thrones rewatch podcast yep. with none other than the, the amazing the ever talented trisha hershberger yeah yes we're watching the entire game of thrones series and not just that we have a patreon for it and i know what you guys are thinking you're like wait a second you got only stupid answers yes no. but this baby's brand new and it's got yeah. we got a lot of bells and whistles you're not gonna want to miss out yeah, on this and it's like a baby it has its own set of needs yes. yes but to make this work we came up with a lot of other fun things on the side that can really bolster up the patreon that i think you guys are going to be on board yes. with like we're comparing the events that happened in the novels to the series and trisha got so excited about this this actually has been my favorite part that we've Same. done so far with uh, so far with the Patreon and also every other week we're going to be watching episodes live that you guys can join us yeah so you can be watching the show with us all in preparation for the final season the final season is coming up so this is all there to help remind us why we love the show and prepare us for the last season to say goodbye mm-hmm. so consider checking out patreon.com slash hard to say goodbye to get those first few episodes free also early access for this entire podcast don't worry it will eventually be out there into the world but if you don't want to miss a dang second yep. go to patreon.com slash hard to say goodbye we appreciate you guys hey and we love you see you over there if you want to get involved it's as easy as one dollar that gets you access to episodes early and gets you to be a part of the community and part of the discussion uh giving us the questions that we answer on the show please and thank you patreon.com slash hard, hard to, to say, say goodbye, goodbye. Now back to the show. But at the beginning of all of our episodes, we like to open it up and uh, talk about what we're into this week. That can be a movie, TV show, comic books, anything. And I wanted to throw it over to my old pal, DJ. Oh, man, you're having me go up first. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, since we're talking about space, a show I just started checking out um, is uh, The Expanse. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a couple episodes into the first season, and I'm, I'm digging it. I like it's a It's a more um, uh, grounded uh, sci-fi show compared to um, a lot of the, the other ones. Uh, no aliens yet. I'm only a couple episodes in the first season, so mm-hmm. I don't know how that's going to turn out. But basically, uh, humanity has, has colonized the solar system. Um, they're terraforming Mars. So, uh, and the, there's this group of people, uh, called belters that work asteroid belts for ice to, uh, for, to provide water for earth and, and Mars and earth and Mars are basically locked in a cold war. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I I think it's just a really, it's all the, the, at this point, most of the characters are kind of archetypes, 
but the little details they provide in the world make it feel feel more believable mm-hmm. make you feel more invested in the reality that these characters uh, live in and it's another it's another one of those space shows that says like hey guess what space doesn't give a fuck about you yeah <laughs> uh, and uh, there, there's one there's one specific scene like I thought you know because I'm a Game of Thrones fan and I thought that show pretty much right. prepared me for you know character deaths and all that stuff but there's a there's a character death in, in I think episode four that's just very like just because it's it's so meaningless mm-hmm. to every it just it just happens because space is scary and and uh, and it's and it only is is uh, tangentially related to what's happening at the time and it's just really like wow that really blows that really like <laughs> that really sucks for that guy um, but yeah so so uh, I'm I'm digging it so far nice uh, for me I've been trying to get into Castle Rock because. Ooh, like people like Stephen King. You should like Stephen King, right? People should. And so Castle Rock seems yeah. like the Marvel Cinematic Stephen King sad yeah. boy universe. The opening credits are like <laughs> pages pages from his books and everything. And it it's takes the place. writers taking their favorite parts of their favorite books to make Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, and it's the first three episodes came out. They uh, Hulu released those all at once, which is kind of cool. Uh, now we're getting into the weekly episodes and I think that it's finally kicking the gear uh, that I'm starting to enjoy like the mystery that they're setting yeah. up but it it did take a hot minute to get into it and there are mm. a lot of let's call them sci-fi elements that are I'm not quite sure where they're going with it obviously that's the point of watching the show but uh there's elements of telepathy or uh someone is an empath maybe it's a no. little kind of ambiguous and also we have maybe cult dealings maybe there's antichrist or angels and it's like it's kind of all over the place and while that is cool and it's cool that this is being like you're dipping your toes into at least 10 different stephen king books in these first four episodes mm-hmm. uh i don't know if that equals the best of all Stephen King like uh, like I don't know like taking the best part of like seven milkshakes and putting it together might not be like a really good milkshake so um, it's still a milkshake so you're not going to be happy about it but uh, you know what I mean it's like uh, I'm going to stick with it let's give it two more episodes that seems I think it's an eight episode first season oh maybe I can finish it yeah so they're they're about (laughs) halfway through um, yeah, it's interesting. There's there's elements that are cool. I've also been watching um, Sharp Objects, which on HBO, which has a lot of thematic similarities. Mm-hmm. But oh, I'm right. enjoying it significantly more. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I did. Yeah, I, oh, sorry. Go for it. No, you go ahead. Uh, I did also need to give a shout out. I've shouted them out at least like three times now. But uh, the Ologies podcast, uh, Steve. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's I'm not. It's an amazing podcast where this woman had this idea. Her name is Allie Ward. Uh, a couple of years ago, she just found a list of all the different ologies there are out there in the universe, and she every episode finds a different ologist, and it could be someone who studies Mars, or it could be someone who studies huh. sharks, or someone who studies fear, or studies sports psychology, and they uh, sit down for an hour and she's so charismatic and the way they edit the podcast is perfect it's wow. it's so entertaining and you don't and like i listened to an hour-long episode on trees and i was like why would i do that and like <laughs> it was so cool that like you said space doesn't give a fuck trees don't give a fuck if you if they don't if a branch isn't working it's like oh we're gonna go ahead and cut that off ourselves we're gonna go ahead and just kill that yeah. and like grow another branch because it's not working for us anymore no. or like when the redwoods when you like when they built that giant like you know driveway through it where people can drive underneath the redwoods it's like oh, yeah. that wasn't a good idea but the tree's like fuck it we'll make it work we'll just keep going and no. I'm like that's, oh, that's a cool. that's pretty badass good no. for trees yeah. <laughs> good for trees imagine if your yeah. arm just like it wasn't doing it for you like it wasn't strong enough and your body's like yeah nah. grow another one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this one's gonna be great yeah <laughs> sure yeah I'm totally it's it's an amazing podcast ologies go listen to it but Steve let's start to you what are you into this week 
This, what I've been into this week, and this is going to be very, very nerdy and not much to do with space, but I discovered this show on YouTube called Defunct Land. Ooh. Um, and Defunct Land is all about um, rides that used to be at major theme parks that don't exist anymore, mostly it. focusing on Disney. And I've always found that, I mean, I think there's always so much lore and mystery around Disney parks, um, but this is like a really great deep dive into like why they were there, why they failed, um, total missteps by by Disney or Universal Studios. And I just watched one because I was like, oh, the Jaws ride. I loved that when I was a kid. Um, and I watched that, and I just got so addicted to the show. And I don't think I've ever just like gone through and just watched every episode on a YouTube channel. But it's fascinating, and the host is really great. And it's, it's more than just sort of like, oh, this used to be a cool ride or like Disney fanboy type stuff. It's a real deep dive into like the creation of these rides, why they aren't there anymore, um, what they meant to people, great archival footage. Um, it's, it's a really, really interesting show. What's That's the, awesome. What's the most interesting yeah. uh, failed ride so far that you've run across? The, there was one that they put in in Disney when Disney was like, the movies were doing really well in the late 90s, but the parks weren't doing so well because like Euro Disney was a failure and they tried to do another like Disney's America, which is like this whole park about American history that mm. was supposed to be in Virginia and literally on a battleground, like Ooh. an old battleground. And it was just a bad idea. But this one ride, so they needed a new ride at Disney. So they put in this thing, I believe it was called like, like Hollywood Limo Adventure. Ooh. Interesting. And you just in this limo that isn't going very fast and it's a dark ride you know so you're going through an environment and it's just all these really terrible cardboard cutouts to look like Hollywood and the paparazzi and the idea is like you're trying to escape from the paparazzi but Disney isn't really known for like using cardboard cutouts usually it's very intricate you know the Imagineers make these great animatronics but it's just these cardboard cutouts and then there are these very terrible cartoonish animatronics of like celebrities at the time like Drew Carey and Ellen DeGeneres and it's just like nobody cared and it's so terrible and there's this amazing video of like the cast of the Drew Carey show riding the ride and you can just tell how much they are trying to not just talk about how terrible this ride is. Wow. And I think it was only around for about four or five years no one ever went to it but it's just this incredible misstep. It has no real theming, nothing to do with the magic of Disney or anything. It's just like, I don't know, you're in a limo and there's some terrible animatronics of like, you know, I think like Jeff Foxworthy as well. Just wow. <laughs> terrible. Super 90s. Terrible. I, yeah. What really a weird bad. time capsule. Uh, I, have yeah. a, I have a friend who is on this weird email list. I don't know how they did it, but he's an engineer, and he gets mm-hmm. to he gets those invites to Six Flags and Knots and Disneyland to test out new rides because they can bring people in, yeah. not just employees. And I'm oh, like, cool. That's a really Ooh. cool hobby to have. Yeah, yeah. I would be on but board. Then- is that dangerous though? Are these like totally untested rides? It's no. It's more like the, the engineers have tested it. They've built it. They've started running the test themselves. And this is like okay. pre, like just like maybe a few weeks before they open it to the public. And it's just like, hey, if you want to, gotcha. it's like a, it influencers. But I guess we now have a term for that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess yeah, we're, yeah, there's sure. blogs for roller coasters that people are like, you're gonna not want to miss out mm-hmm. on this ride, even though everyone already knows about yeah. it, and we're yeah, on board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so it's almost like a press screening in a way basically yeah and I'm like oh I don't know how to get into that world that really niche world but I would 
be on we'll board. figure it we'll crack it we'll crack very it cool. I, I would so very be on board cool. with that also last little yeah. thing i want to plug netflix they have a series called ugly delicious it's about food and it's not about cooking and the first episode's about pizza from around the world and what pizza Ooh. means to people and how japan is now the top like country to make the best pizza in the world and norway apparently eats really? more pizza than anyone Period. Interesting. And I'm what? like, how? I mean, it must be cold, so you want as much warmth to get yeah. into your body as possible. There's yeah. also not a lot to do in Norway. So let's, drugs and pizza. Sure. <laughs> Personal pan <laughs> pizza. Yeah. Let's make up. <laughs> I mean, I think I think pizza and drugs have always paired very well together. It's true. Uh, here's a recommendation: uh, the Instagram account Taco Bell Sommelier, and they'll pair <laughs> wines with Taco Bell dishes. Uh, dishes a very fancy way to say a, a dollar taco, oh. <laughs> but oh, it's like, good. ooh, this rosé pairs really well with a crunch. Supreme. Uh, so that's really funny. If you want a good, if you want a good giggle on the toilet, you can go ahead and read. You can read <laughs> that Instagram account. But enough dilly dallying. Let's get into mm. 2001: A Space Odyssey. We've uh, reached out to our Patreon and our Discord, and we've got questions locked and loaded. But Steve, Ooh. let's throw to you. What does yes. uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey mean to you? <laughs> what does it mean to me, or what is the meaning of the film? Ooh. What does it mean to you? Um, what does it mean to me? I, I, that's interesting. I mean, to in a certain extent, the movie kind of it means a lot to me. I think it's a really just strange, strange, beautiful film that I love. Any film that breaks conventions of filmmaking, uh, and this at the time sort of broke all narrative conventions. I mean, it's a movie about space, and we start at the dawn of man. Um, and there's for some reason this movie too, like it really can. I don't know if it influenced what I like aesthetically, or it just sort of hit all of the things that I love. Love aesthetically, but especially that there's something I really connect to with that Dawn of Man um, opening, uh, where it looks like a museum um, uh, exhibit, like at the you know, a diorama. Sorry, that's yeah, it. Yeah. A museum of natural history diorama come to life, and that's something I always really connected with. So if I'm saying like what it means to me personally, I think there's just sort of like it was one of those movies that I saw, and I was like, this is just hitting on every single thing that I. It's checking all the boxes. It looks the way. I I want a movie to look. It feels the way I want a movie to feel. It's so long. It's so slow. And I saw this around the same time that I first saw Lawrence of Arabia, um, which is another slow, long movie. And I think it just, these are the movies that like, I am a, a film buff. I'm a filmmaker. I've taught film classes. And I think these two movies were what changed me from like oh this is entertainment to like oh no this is something more that you can do more than just sort of like have fun and have an action adventure movie like it it can go deeper and it can mean something that's much bigger than just what's on the surface you said you watched this movie when you were young how young were you when you first saw this movie 11 or 12 my dad rented it uh from blockbuster yes Uh, you know just um you know, not the best format to see it in um, on video on like a 19 inch TV or something, but it's still, I can remember like sitting in my living room, uh, it was daytime and watching this and still just being like blown away by it. That's crazy that you were able, you, uh, uh, you were very, uh, you had a lot of endurance as an 11 year old. <laughs> I think so. Because I don't know, know I if a, I could have sat through this as an, as an 11 year old. I, I've seen footage of me at that age, and I'm a hyperactive little shit. Oh, sorry, can I yeah, swear yeah, on this? Yeah, go for it. Okay, Please I'm do. a hyperactive yeah. little shit. Um, so much so that when I saw footage of myself at that age, I actually made a, clip, a reel of it and sent it to my parents to apologize and like thank them for putting up with me. But I, I for some reason, you know, it, it, film would calm me down, and movies are always a big part of it. And I could just sit there and watch four movies back to back. So I, I didn't mind them being long at all. I prefer 
preferred them being long. Uh, when I, so this is the first time I've watched the movie, which it seems like that's awesome. a no-no for me because <laughs> we talk about films often on this podcast. Okay. Uh, but like, and so watching it for the first time, uh, you get to see a lot of inspirations that other thing, other. Uh, TV shows and movies and right. anything actually have pulled from 2001 A Space Odyssey and the imagination of Stanley Kubrick uh, and the way he brought this story to life. It, it's been directly pulled and referenced in a lot of other things. And also, mm-hmm. I agree with you that just aesthetically, there's something nice about the way it just feels to look at, the way that they uh, like they bring a lot of different aspects of how he imagined what space life would be like in the future and mm-hmm. the, the color scheme and uh, the, the different ways of just like capturing shots like a shot of an eye or the close-up on Hal's little optical sensor or whatever that is, the mm-hmm. camera. Um, there's something about it that's really pleasing. And I think... Uh, sometimes I kick myself when I watch older movies now that have been such a big influence for so many filmmakers because you realize, right. like, oh, it would have been amazing if I had seen this shot for the first time in this movie, and then I can reference it back. Like, I, last year they re-released um, Close Encounters uh, of a, with the Third yes. Kind, or oh, of the Third Kind, yeah. sorry. And uh, that, so much has been pulled from that movie now yes. for so many alien movies. And I was like, yeah. man, this movie would mean a lot more to me if I had seen this one first. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is strange, but that, I don't think that took away from uh, the importance of this movie that I could definitely see what mm-hmm. this... That this is a movie that is influential to not just filmmakers, but a lot of people and their love of space or just exploration in general mm-hmm. where we can kind of... It does a, kind of a cool job of showing uh, scale where like because humans can't like this has been a big thing but humans can't understand scale very well even when you try to picture like Mm -hmm. uh, how big a limo is like Mm -hmm. even in your head or an elephant you're like I don't think I quite know how big it is and so when you scale that up to the size of a planet or a galaxy or in our universe it's cool that this movie was able to make us feel small while also piquing your interest to keep exploring Beach body on demand. What what? Beach body on demand. Beach body on demand. What what? Beach body on demand is an easy to use streaming service that gives you instant access to a wide variety of super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your living room. Twenty four seven. That's amazing. We both use this program quite a bit. I yeah. know you, you you live by this. No, I do it on the reg. I this is actually one of my favorite sponsors that we have. I use it regularly. It has helped me live a better, more fit life, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. It is the company that is behind P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, T25, Brazil Butt Lift, Pio, Hip Hop Abs, Three Week Yoga Retreat, and so many more. Like so many more? You have no idea. You can get motivated by celebrity super trainers you know like Sean T, Shalene Johnson, Tony Horton, and Autumn Calabrese. Oh. It has hundreds of effective workouts for all fitness levels ranging from bodybuilding to weight training to cardio hit to yoga and even dance workouts. I've I- done the dance workouts yeah really i've done a dance workout okay. it's pretty good and i and i do the yoga uh, the yoga is pretty nice it's, it's good to be stay f- flexible kids yeah i like to i prefer shift shop that is my go-to um but my wife has done some of the workouts from previously mentioned autumn calabrese mm. and we love it because we can do workouts on our own schedule there are workouts as short as 10 minutes that don't require extra equipment which is great and you can view it on your computer web enabled tv tablet smartphone roku apple tv chromecast and many more that's so many options i use my phone because i can stream it straight to my tv if i want through apple tv or just do it from my phone which i appreciate as well so join the over 1 million people currently on beachbody on demand and guess what our listeners can try beachbody on on demand Demand. beachbody Beachbody on demand. demand 
absolutely free. Yes, you can, and guess this, this is how you do it, all right? Are you writing down? You're going to write this down? Because it's important, because you can try a special free trial membership when you text STUPID to 303030. That's 303030. You'll get full access to the entire platform for free. That's all the workouts, nutrition information, and support absolutely free. Again, just text STUPID, that's S-T-U-P-I-D, to 303030 or... 30, 30, 30. Go check it out and sing along with us when we sing Beach Body On Demand. Beach Body On Demand. What, what? Now back to the show. Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I think it, it did that too by, you know, this coming out, it started shooting in 1965, was released in 1968, and it took sci-fi seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, let's get this right. Um, and those model shots are incredible. Like the, the, the you know, the special effects, everything that it, it just, it, it created a whole new language of cinema for science fiction. Uh, Steve, for the kids at home that don't know anything about 2001 A Space Odyssey, Ooh. can you give them like an elevator pitch of, of what this movie is and why it matters? Okay, dang. An elevator pitch of 2001 A Space <laughs> yeah. Odyssey. Uh, it, is, it is a movie about, and maybe I can like quote a little Kubrick here, um, it is about um, making contact with extraterrestrial life and what it is to be a human in the universe. And what it means to uh, the importance of exploration to humanity. There you go. I like that. There you go. Yeah. Another another way to describe it mm-hmm. is yeah. uh, uh, space rock. Monkeys find space rock. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Can we do Monkeys an edit? Space rock. Uh oh. Poster and it's, every oh. time somebody finds a space rock, uh oh happens. Uh-oh. And on the baby, Uh-oh. it's like, but the baby's but the, what, hold on to oh, the baby. On. We'll Uh-oh. come back to that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, it was. Uh oh, man, make tool, but also weapon. Uh oh. But is Uh-oh. man yeah. tool? Of course. This what? is a long. This is a long poster. Yeah. <laughs> this poster is really big. Yeah. Uh, but no, that that is a good way of. That is how you. It should be described. And there's a the way the movie uh, it tells the way it builds upon stories and has pretty simple lessons in there, but mm-hmm. can tell them in complex and beautiful ways. It, it's it's amazing, and uh, the way they bring a lot of things to life, like how how has been copied over and over again in every yeah. movie with AI in it. But Copied it, and alluded to and mm-hmm. just, yeah, straight up just on The Simpsons. Like, yeah, it's... Uh, but it's it's beautiful. Oh, wait, that's actually... that That's definitely the first time I ever learned about 2001 A Space Odyssey with James... Yeah. Uh, who, oh, man, I'm blanking. Who was James Bond before uh, uh, the last one, the most recent one? Pierce Brosnan. Oh, my God. Uh, he's the voice of Hal in the Simpsons episode. Nice. That's they, right. The smart home, yeah. Yeah, the smart home. And it's amazing because, uh, like, Marge falls in love with uh, Hal. Yeah. And it's, 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 a great, it's a great episode. Yeah. And they, yeah. they talk in the bathroom so that Hal yeah. can't see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great show. And even the, when Homer goes to space and he's spinning around to eat the chips, that's all 2001. Um, I think... Uh, at the end of the episode, Bart writes "hero" on the back of his head mm-hmm. uh, and throws the pen up in the air, and you, see, you get the match cut, and then it falls down and hits like uh, Star Child Homer on the head, and he says "doe." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Simpsons are all you know. I, I probably saw those references too before I saw. Uh, uh, the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing some research. So, like I said, first time watching, uh, first mm-hmm. time caller, many time fan, whatever <laughs> that saying yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> and I started looking into some of the meanings in the movie. Uh, but I know when we were talking via email, uh, mm-hmm. you've seen this. Oh, if you were to ballpark how many times you've seen this movie, what would you say? 
We said in the email 20. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I think that might be about right. Um, generally, if it's ever re-released in a... I, I, when I was younger, I watched it a lot on video, just sort of obsessively watching it. Um, I did that with a lot of movies. Uh, would just sort of have it. It would live in my VCR, mm-hmm. and I'd watch a little bit before school and like a little bit on my lunch break when I came home and then finish it off at night, and I would sort of just do that over and over again. And then now... I've had it owned it on DVD and have watched it a bunch of times and shown it to people. And now I try to only watch it when it is um, re-released in a theater. There's a 70 millimeter restoration right now. And so I think I've seen about five or six versions of it theatrically. So yeah, I'd say probably about 20 times. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, and we were talking yeah. about what this movie means. And I have, I have some interpretations from Kubrick. Uh, I mean, he's, he made the movie, so this no. is uh, a lot yeah. of stuff's concrete. But I also like there's a specific quote he has uh, that I wanted to read uh, from this uh, article. I'll read it really quick. Mm-hmm. This is um, mm-hmm. the, that there are concrete lessons and stories that are happening within this movie. But also he said everything else uh, he describes as this. There are areas that I prefer not to discuss because they are highly subjective and will differ from viewer to viewer. In this sense, the film becomes anything the viewer sees in it. And there's, it goes on further and further, but I appreciate mm-hmm. that, that the movie can be so ambiguous. Most films are. They yes. are subjective, and they, they, you can attach whatever things you're going through personally to a film and mm-hmm. make it more important. For me, growing up, Good Burger and Casper, <laughs> equally culturally <laughs> important yeah. to, to 2001. Casper, man. Oh, God. That yeah. actually might be imagery from 2001 in those movies. But, we'll, hey, we'll do an episode on that one. We'll call you back. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about right. the, the parallels. Um, but yeah. uh, what? Let, let's talk about what... The, what this movie means like or what what yeah. interpretation you've taken away from this movie yeah it, you know I, I always had these sort of theories and then I saw it the first time I ever saw it in 70 millimeter was two years ago in Toronto and it was a beautiful restoration and I seeing it on the big screen in 70 millimeter was like watching it for the first time uh, and it, I kind of had I, was, I kind of finalized what I think oh this movie is about that I've been trying to figure out what does it mean to me and what does it mean in general um uh, so my understanding of it or what I uh, think happens in this movie, and this is a little bit of a rant, but uh, feel free to uh, cut me off at any oh, time. Oh, I'm excited. Um, uh, so, you know, we start at the dawn of man, um, and there is a group of primitive uh, beings, primitive humans, uh, that are learning. The, the beginnings of society are kind of there. We see that there's tribes. Um, they don't get along very well, but it's still very primitive. Uh, they wake up one morning, and there is this monolith in front of them. And I always think, always thought, that the monolith is its a super intelligent being, something way beyond our comprehension, um, like a super intelligent being would, like a god. Like, we could never actually see, if there is a god, we could never actually see them or understand them with our very limited senses, so the only way to see it or to understand it is as a black void. That's the only way we can interpret this thing. So humans, uh, even these uh, very, very primitive uh, beings, can only see it as this, this, this nothingness. Uh, they touch it. They, from that, they are given a gift of intelligence. Because um, very quickly we see they develop tools. Um, this intelligence sort of pushes them into this idea of being human. Um, they are able to build weapons, and like humans now, they have fear. They fear other things, and they they, they can use violence to to 
um, hurt other people and to to make themselves the more dominant tribe, um, eventually becoming the dominant species on the planet. We were exploring space. Uh, we've done very well with each other. Uh, we've done very well for ourselves, I mean. And then there's this middle part of the movie where there is another monolith or maybe the same monolith that's found uh, on the moon. And what's important to know when they're talking about it is that they discovered it because they could read a radiation signal that was coming from it, which means that humans had to develop certain technologies to get themselves there. And I think that the first seeding to those primitive people was to have them develop uh, an intelligence that would finally have them uh, develop the technologies that would get them to the moon to find this second marker on this journey. They discover this second marker. Um, the sort of same thing happens again. It actually, in the movie, it's a, you know, an allusion to the the primitive people because these men are now all in these spacesuits and they all sort of look the same. Uh, so it sort of just really just looks like the, the first monolith discovery. They touch it. Um, it's a little more violent this time. Um, but they touch it, and I believe that that seeds whatever it is to create... Um, HAL. Now, HAL has already, this technology in the movie has already been around for years, but now there's this, they never specify it, but I believe that whatever they needed to do to make HAL what it needs to be to get a manned mission to Jupiter, they have now achieved through this now making an artificial intelligence. Um, So we cut to... Uh, the Jupiter mission, which is, you know, the main part of the movie or like when we actually finally get some plot in the movie. Um, And I think the most important thing to note here is when Hal breaks down, uh, when Hal sort of makes, uh, you know, we we don't really know what's going on. Is Hal trying to destroy um, these two people? Is Hal just bent, so hell-bent on his mission because that's the way he's programmed that he has to defend himself or try to kill these two guys? I think what's really important is when they are talking about what went wrong and why did this, why did Hal report this satellite failing when it was actually going to be fine, it is sent back as its human error. And so they think that Hal is trying to set them up. But what I think what's really going on is Hal is trying to tell them that he is now human, that Hal has become sentient and he really does have feelings because man is now able to create actual life, actual life that can feel and think for itself. And Hal, just like the monkeys or the the primitive man, are is just trying to defend himself as well because he has been given this gift. He has not been given it from the monolith, but he has been given it from man who has now become God. Um, So man has become God, uh, and so there's this battle, and it it does end up being this battle between this new life we've created and humanity, and they're both racing towards the final monolith. And I always thought that whatever would get to that final monolith would sort of win out. Hmm. Um, But humanity prevails and ends up sort of destroying this evil machine. But I also think that now that man has destroyed the life that it has created, it has truly become God, a creator and destroyer. Um, and I always think, my idea of the world is that if, if you know, evolution, the final step of evolution would be to become a God. Um, there would be nothing beyond that for you to do but be able to create and destroy life. Yeah. So when Dave finally gets to this third monolith that... It seems like, you know, um, 
all of this is part of the journey, and the monolith knows this is going to happen. So when Dave finally gets there, Dave is the destroyer. He's not necessarily the creator, but he is this representative of humanity. So the monolith now, which we see as the planets align, is just this sort of, it's this black void again, now opens up. And it shows Dave what it really is. And that psychedelic, crazy montage at the end that is so rad is just Dave trying to interpret it and trying to figure out what it is. And this is like, if you really saw the monolith, you would probably, you'd go insane. And he looks like he is going insane as it happens. Um, I think that finally when all of it settles and he is able to settle into it, it is this idea of this zoo-like room that sort of looks like um you know what we're familiar with but it's all it's all different and i think they are waiting it is in this room that he is waiting for the final transformation into becoming a super being or one of these beings like the monolith because in the middle section of it he knocks a glass off a table and it shatters which means that it's another representation of human error and he is still human. So he has to go through this whole life cycle. And then the monolith shows himself, shows itself to Dave at the end when he is dying in that bed and Dave reaches out to it and then becomes this being. And I always thought too, that in that um, psychedelic freak out part, we see um, a terrestrial surface. And I used to always think like, oh, is this some weird interpretation of Jupiter? I was like, that can't be right. I mean, we've known Jupiter's have been a, is a gas giant. You know, they knew that in 1965. They knew that when the movie was released in 1968. Um, you know, so what is this? It, maybe it's just some interpretation of Jupiter. But my interpretation of it is that it's back to that African desert at the dawn of man. And... Dave, now a super being, is seeding the Earth again in this sort of cyclical um, way because we even see, like, in that psychedelic montage, there is what seems to me like the Big Bang and the furnace of creation and all the universe um, starting over again. And now, you know, the 10 billion years later, he reaches Earth and is now seeding that life, and it will all just keep sort of going into a circle until maybe one time it happens and the, the Hal wins, and then it will create a brand new existence. Um, and that sort of... You know, I, th- that's what I, I, I take from it. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> that was yeah. So you're saying, my, you're saying my explanation of uh, uh, Space Rock and the Monkeys is pretty close. It's pretty, it's pretty on point. You can't see on our end, but DJ and I were like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> like, we, were like, we were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's very yeah. cool. And I, and I do like your uh, interpretation, which I do find to be true with, uh, with Hal. Uh, I, like the, I like the little... Uh, nod to human error that he yes. made a mistake and now with yeah. that like he has different right. responsibilities and since he's supposed to be perfect there's this whole battle yes. kind of going within Hal uh, throughout yeah. that part of the movie yeah because I, cool. I actually feel I feel bad for Hal because my my Me too. In, my interpretation is you know he's he's designed to to they, they make a big deal about he's supposed to be flawless the information he's supposed to get mm-hmm. give is without error and then they ask right. him to lie like yes. don't don't tell them what the mission's about and and that yeah he can't he can't process that information like that's not yeah. that's not what i'm programmed to do and it just kind of he kind of unravels from there and i i know the first time i saw it um uh it really struck with me i i 
when he's shutting down how it really felt like you were inside of a dying brain yes. and it was a, it was a very harrowing sequence uh, it and is, I, and I, I think he's being. I think Al is being Al. Hal is being a hundred percent honest when he's begging. I don't think he's lying. I, I think when he says, "I'll be better, I'll be better," he truly means it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, at least I see it now. That last time I saw it, I really want. You know, it, it felt like that, and it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, also was looking up and some fun things I just wanted to throw uh, to the podcast to think about. I, I there mm-hmm. was some imagery that uh, another person pointed out of how humanity, while it's reaching to the stars, they're kind of like infants. And the way the imagery they use, like the women are you are kind of wearing uh, the stewardesses uh, are wearing those shoes, the Velcro shoes, so they can walk around. Right. So they're relearning how to walk in space oh. in this new frontier, and how they're kind of eating food out of they're like sucking it out of uh, like juice boxes, yeah. basically. It's baby food. And they're having to relearn how to use the bathroom, too. And I thought that was a funny moment when, like, the guy's reading, like, the nine steps to using the space toilet. But as it continues, you go to the Jupiter... portion of the story and they're eating solid food and I remember when, when DJ and I were setting up to, for the podcast he's like they're just they kept showing them eating and it's like well they're showing different ways they're eating and now they've moved moved to solid foods and they're no yes. longer they're able to run now they're not using yeah it starts with them running yeah and it's super and like also the cinematography in this movie is amazing I don't know actually how they did a lot of those things like I don't know how it's they pulled it off practical it's it's all practical which is crazy I mean they just had a giant spinning set that the camera was attached to that they would just have to run with and like get the timing down it's insane it was uh, incredible and so insane. there was some cool imagery with that and um i there was one other thing i wanted to bring up which i thought was pretty important as well with the monoliths when you see the like the the primitive man they mm-hmm. are they're afraid but they're curious yes. when they come up to it and when you get the humans on the moon after they've dug it up they're not scared they're just like kind of yeah. they go over they kind of like flick it whatever they're touching it you know bumping their butt against it and then they, they take a selfie yeah you know. <laughs> they're like licking it uh, then they uh, that's when it becomes more violent but then as it yes. goes on uh, you get to see like a metamorphosis and basically uh, by the end of the movie when we go like just like in the beginning where it went from ape to something more uh, we mm-hmm. see as he's dying he's both af- he's deathly afraid of what's to come either that's his own mortality or the mystery mm-hmm. of the monolith or Mm-hmm. Some combination of both. It's also curiosity, uh, and it's really ambiguous, and it's like all over the place. But I do like that there is that kind of cycle of man being humbled once again. Uh, yes, to receive this gift uh, yeah. of intelligence or of evolution. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- yeah. Oh man, there's so much in this movie. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it's beautiful, and the way they uh, are able to pull off a lot of this, and it, it kind of comes down to the imagery. Like, I want to own a uh, coffee table book with all the like cells of this uh, movie, oh, yeah. so I can flip through it when I'm, you know, whatever, drunk. I yeah. come home, I'm like, you know, I want to yeah. look at space, <laughs> and I open that up. And the the symmetry of the movie is also beautiful, especially with the monolith uh, cycling around. Uh, Jupiter uh, and the way oh. it lines up the planets and it's so gorgeous it's beautiful and uh, and I have to I did pull up his name sorry I'm pulling it up again really quick the music from composer uh, well, I mean there's a lot of uh, which one are you talking about this way like the yes yeah, that, that and uh, 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 Alex North was the name that came up first but yes no it's uh, that the the operatic uh, kind of like terror sounds that you get and also yeah. the the wonder and spectacle you get when they're flying up to space for the first time uh, it, it's it's 
uh, haunting, and it also it, it like mm-hmm. I've said previously, like there, there's the way they use scale in this movie is is impressive, and music yes. helps with that. It kind of helps you paint a picture of like if you're hearing these just distant screams, that's kind of it evokes imagery of you being in the mountains and hearing something way far off, and you're like, yeah. I don't know where that is, but I don't want to be where that is if that comes this mm-hmm. way. And with this, it's right. just like. We don't know where space is. That sound is either it's space or it's our brain interpreting something scary that we're yeah. seeing out there. I, I might be adding a lot on that, like I'm interpreting, but I do enjoy That's that good. this movie has the. They built it in a way that allows you to add whatever you'd like to 100%. it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you uh, the the Kubrick uh, quote that you uh, uh, said earlier. You know, you when I got booked on the show um, a little while ago. Since then, that audio recording has come out of Kubrick explaining what he thinks the end is. Oh, nice. Which I think is like very funny that that's come out now. Um, and he does preface it with saying like it's open to interpretation. I don't even like saying it because my interpretation sounds so silly. But it's so cool that even Kubrick's like, well, I have an idea of what it is, but I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's just more about feeling, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, his his thing is interesting, too. He he says that, you know, the end, um, that white room or not the white room, but the, the room that sort of looks like a house, but it feels very different is like a zoo. Mm-hmm. And a human in that room would be like an animal at the zoo that like we create these environments for animals that are kind of perfect but wrong you know they, they, yeah. they don't look exactly right or they're not really you know it's like a white rock or a regular rock painted white so a polar bear just you know it, it looks more like a polar bear enclosure um, and he says that he's being observed in the zoo uh, and then once he dies he gets to become the super being but Kubrick said that he goes back to the present he my idea of this cyclical thing Kubrick disagrees with which he's probably right but his he, he says it's up to you to figure out what's going to happen now that this superman in a way has returned to earth yeah and i know in the in the original uh script and it, it maintained that way in the book uh he when he comes back he blows up the star child blows up the nuclear satellites because uh, oh, wow. uh, uh, Kubrick, like a lot of people, time was real scared of being nuked. Yes. Understandably. <laughs> we have another friend of the show that we'd like to give a quick shout out to, if we may, oh, DJ. Oh, please. Because no matter what we're doing in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. It's extremely important. I'm very particular with how I smell. And Dollar Shave Club has some very cool products that you guys should check out that I personally use and I'm willing to endorse. Can May I, I be honest with you, Sam? You're a good smelling boy. Thank you. I work very hard at that. And Dollar Shave Club now has shower stuff. They have hair styling products, toothbrushes, toothpaste, and of course, razors and shave supplies. Now, specifically, I use I use their shave butter Yes, because uh, I like how it goes on clear and I like their razors, but they have an Amber lavender body cleanser, which Ooh. smells so good, and then Ooh, so good. They have a couple different like face moisturizers that you want to use, but I usually prefer their uh, shampoo and conditioner, which comes in sage and black pepper. And mm. at first, you're like, black pepper, interesting. Yeah, go on, tell me, <laughs> tell more. me more. Uh, it's it's a delightful scent that makes me smell like a man. Which I'm a big fan of. You just want that nice man smell. It it, it just smells like an adult. You know, it smells like someone who owns their own organic 
coffee and juice store. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ooh, I want to be that guy. I've started my own business, and I probably have nice oils in my beard, so it's healthy. That's how I get ready, and but you're not me. That's important. You have your own way of getting ready. You might shave your whole dang body to get ready for a bike race, and Dollar Shave Club's executive razor and shea butter can help. You might do your hair to get ready for a soccer match. Don't worry. Boogies by Dollar Shave Club can help you get your style right. The thing is, no matter... What you do to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. And guess what? We got an amazing offer for you, DJ. Right now, you can get ready with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets. We recommend the Daily Essential Starter Set because we love the Amber Lavender Body Cleanser. But you, so good. But you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash stupid to pick your own DSC starter set for just five dollars after your starter set products ship at a regular price and make sure you check out their new video too that's dollarshaveclub.com slash stupid dollarshaveclub.com slash stupid now back to the show we actually have a question here from a terry fournier from the patreon shout out to terry favorite french canadian uh they uh he mentioned uh that at the end of the movie could you see the star child bowman uh destroying all the nuclear missiles coming towards him uh like at the end of the book which is how the book apparently ends or at least the novelization of it ends yeah which was interesting uh and then i think that's a good segue uh, i did want to ask dj since this is the second time through how was it watching for you it was good Good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> perfect. It's good. It's, it, it, yeah, it's inter- it's a, it's a it's an interesting uh, uh, going back and revisiting, as I'm sure you know, Steve, because you've re- yeah. revisited more often than many, I have. many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, solid thirty hours worth of my life. <laughs> oof, that's an oof yeah. from Sam. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, forty. Sorry, forty. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jesus, math is way off there. Yeah, get uh, get get it right. Get the amount of hours and take it from you right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think. Can I ask how did you get what, what format did you guys watch this? Just at at home, or did you catch the new restoration? I would have loved to. That would have been awesome. But I did watch it at home. But I, mm-hmm. I have I've started upgrading my uh, like my viewing like center in my room, and so it's been it's been amazing. Like uh, so, I turn off all the lights. Actually, first I started off with. Uh, I have some of those. Hue oh, we're bulbs. getting a whole experience. Oh, here. here you go. I'm <laughs> painting a picture. Uh, so I have those heat bulbs <laughs> that you can uh, alter with your phone. Like you can change the color. And so oh, cool. I, I did like space theme. I did like some deep blues and purples. And I was like, cool, cool. Right, this is good. And then I started getting Very into cool. it. And I'm like, okay, I'm a little scared. So I'm gonna go ahead and turn the lights on. It's like, no, no, no. I'm a big boy. And then I turned them <laughs> off. And I was like, so I just turned them all off. And I sat there and I had the volume up way too loud. And it was really late at night. And I'm like, I. I didn't drink, but it feels like I did as we continue through wow. this movie. I feel under the influence of something. It was a, it was a trip. It was a, it was a trip. And now I own it, so I can. It I can was an it. odyssey, you might say. Oh, that's the real lesson in it yeah. all. That's the after-school special of it all. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I did want to read some questions really quick before we start uh, wrapping up here. Uh, from there, mm-hmm. uh, the Discord. We have a Discord chat. We much appreciate everyone who's a part of that. But also. Ooh. From our Patreon and from our Discord chat, we have uh, Echo Spider. And Echo Spider asks, What is your favorite or most impressive practical effect or sequence in the movie? What comes back around? I think I might have an idea uh, from you guys, but let's uh, start with Steve. What is your favorite practical effect in the movie? 
You know, I think like obviously the the spinning sets are insane. Um, it's incredible the way one set would spin and then the other one would start spinning and the timing of it. And that is very much like I used to be very impressed with that. When I saw it, I saw it last week at the Museum of the Moving Image, uh, the 70 millimeter restoration or the unrestoration, which is interesting. Um, there was a shot that I'd never noticed before how impossible it must have been. But it's when the space station at the beginning um, is spinning, uh, you know, it spins for about 20 minutes um but one of the shots when we first see it the camera goes between the two wheels so if you think about how big cameras were at the time I mean, it's 1965 cameras were huge it means that the scale of that model that they built must have been big enough big enough that at least most of the lens could get through um, between the two wheels. And I never really realized that before because, you know, great technique goes unnoticed, but it blew my mind when I saw it in the theater last week that, oh my God, these models aren't, they're, they're bigger than anything you've probably seen when you see behind the scenes of Star Wars or something. Like, they must have been gigantic, which is why they look so goddamn great. Yeah, there was, um, the one that tripped me out watching it the second time was, you know, because we've, we've done spinning rooms in movies since, you know, I think it was Fred Astaire that uh, danced along the yeah. walls and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But the but the one that I was like, hmm, but don't know, is there's a, it's it's when, it's on the trip to Jupiter when uh, they're both in this cockpit, but one standing on the ground and one standing yeah. side, and it's like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know what they did to, <laughs> and to make that like, happen. And I was even like, oh, I was like, oh, one of them strapped in, but then at one point the other guy gets up. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know how they did that. No, <laughs> it's oh, no so clue. amazing, yeah. yeah. And I know there was like some, there were like, there's some ways they like faked zero G and whatnot, but the, I think the mm-hmm. moment when I was like, I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't know what they did is when uh, it's the. Uh, stewardess is walking down the hallway and she starts walking around the edge of it and I'm like I know they could be turning that but yeah but but <laughs> but like I mean yeah. but how much it's, money was that to make that no. <laughs> oh and Kubrick too notorious for doing 40 50 takes like imagine being that person that just has to be on this wheel and you know he'll do 40 takes of Jack Nicholson closing a door yeah. uh, can you imagine like how hard it was to get that shot perfect and on top of that Kubrick's obsession with perfectionism um it's yeah. Do you guys know about the pen? The pens are really cool, practical effect. I, you know, the I, floating pen. Yeah, talk about that because it was interesting uh, watching that because it's like that looked really good. It's it's really good because it's completely practical and real. All they did instead of doing a blue screen composite, which would have looked terrible at the time, or strings, they have a piece of tempered glass that wouldn't fog and wouldn't reflect, and it's just a big piece of glass with a pen stuck on it. And there's one guy and another guy on the other side of the frame that you can't see. They're just moving the piece of glass around, Why? and the pen is very <laughs> barely attached to it, just enough so it doesn't fall off, so that the stewardess can grab it and take it out without. The there being any sort of friction or pullback from it love it complete wow. so simple you love know it. and it's a beautiful perfect effect yeah i wish we we uh because you think about those practical effects and you think about the technology we have now and i'm not talking about uh computer technology i'm talking about just general the the ability to like with 3d printing and everything yeah and i feel like if we if we spent i, I feel like we could do practical effects so much better now if we exerted yes. the energy to yeah. do that and it would look it would look really good but whatever yeah Always the combo of practical and digital is great. You know, yeah. if it's if it's just digital, it looks fake, and you know you, your mind knows, and you know a camera can't move that way. But if you can, if you restrict the camera, 
Uh, so it's not an impossible shot. And combine the two of them, I mean, Jurassic Park did it, and it still looks incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's one shot in another space movie, Contact, where there is this long shot of a, of the daughter, or it's the main character right when she's a little girl. She's running up the stairs, and she's running into the bathroom to get medicine because her dad's having a heart attack. And the camera, she reaches past the camera to grab a cabinet that has a mirror on it. But at some mm-hmm. point... The camera got to the other side. It's an, it's an editing. It's some editing trick in there. It's but incredible. It's yeah. it's so smooth that you're like, oh wait, hold on. Those, no. the, yeah. the, it, this, <laughs> this movie has plenty of other visual effects that you, your mind's like melted by. But you're like, but yeah. how did they do this one specific shot? But it's yep. fun that you bring up perfectionism because we have another question that I wanted to bring up. Harry Pledger, great name. Uh, this is the movie that convinced people that Kubrick faked the moon landing for NASA. <laughs> Watching 2001 yeah. now compared to the moon footage, does it seem reasonable that people believe that? <laughs> Steve. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a very fun theory. I think it's completely stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's more fun. I mean, if you've seen Room 237, it's a lot of, you know, it's it's actually a movie about, I think, about internet obsession and how we can obsess over things in the digital age than it is really about Kubrick conspiracies. I think he was an interesting dude. I think he does use subliminal messaging in The Shining very well, and that's there. I do not think he faked the moon landing. I think it's a very fun story. Um, I think that... I think he wouldn't have wanted to do it, or he would have, you know, he was kind of an egomaniac. He would have wanted credit for it, at least. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think anybody, I'm like, why would you pick the most difficult director to work with? Yeah. Just because, and you're, you're, you're trying to make it not look great. You yeah. Know? That, that, the whole part of it. So. Well, one of my favorite Mitchell and Webb sketches is they do a, 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 the conspiracy theory of the moon. And so they're like, okay, first thing, we've got to fake the moon landing. First thing, we need to actually build the rocket because people are going to want to know how they got there. <laughs> and so the, the guy that's in charge is like, wait, so we don't save any expense on the rocket? He's like, no, we gotta, we gotta make the rocket, and then we've gotta, we've gotta pay for Crafty to feed all the people on set, which is actually probably gonna cost more than feeding the people going to the moon. That's great. That is a really good bit. Yeah, um, really uh, no, I, I can understand because it, what they pull off in this movie, even though now we can, we have an eye for like like practical effects especially like for the, right. the kind of work that we do but it is impressive and the lighting and the and the cinematography it, it it's beautiful and it's oh, uh, yeah. you could you could the, your if your imagination if you couldn't control it i could see how it would spiral out of control yeah. and you would and, fall and this that. movie lights spaceships properly no one ever did that before usually spaceships in space there's no shadow on them but of course it's going to it's being hit by a light source it's going to have shadows you know i think that was like a, a big thing in this movie why it looks so real as well yeah mm-hmm. Uh, it, and I, uh, I can't wait to watch it again because I want to, I want to see what else I'm able to uncover, and I'm gonna re- like watch more breakdowns and read yeah. more like think pieces on it. Like, did you know that the food they're eating, the peas, that's actually stands for communism? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't know, I didn't catch it the first time. I'll have to <laughs> there, watch it again. A lot to unpack. I will say it's going to be because it's the 50th anniversary this year. So there's lots of there's this new restoration 70 millimeter. It's going to come to IMAX at the end of August. Um, Boom. Uh, and I highly recommend if you haven't been able to see it on a big screen, see it. And especially just for the sound, it will rip your brain apart. I am so down for that. I, uh, I yeah. you know what? Hey, maybe you have a beer, go in there and you just your mind just gets melted. I'm on board with that. Yep. And hey, maybe oh, yeah. we'll invite some of the listeners along. It'll be a blast. Oh, uh, oh, great. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much for hopping on. Where can people find you? 
Um, so yeah, they want to find me. They can um, listen to "I Need My Space." It comes out every Tuesday. Um, it's on all uh, uh, major podcast platforms. You can also get uh, find it through Inverse.com, which is a great website that hosts and uh, produces uh, the the podcast for us. It's a website about sparking curiosity about the future. We can unpack the science of anything. It's all about science and culture, but it's Inverse because it's a different look and it's not the stories that you're just always sort of seeing. Uh, in the major news at networks about uh, outlets, I mean, about uh, science. So it's a really, really fun, fun website. Hell yeah, that sounds amazing. Any, mm-hmm. any last, as we're closing out, any last thoughts on 2001? I think what's, uh, here's, if you're a big Kubrick fan, I think Kubrick's movies are always very different. Um, and they don't tend to like, it's like, oh, this movie is completely different than the other one. It's, it's fun watching this and watching how similar it is to The Shining. There you go. Ooh. So watch them back to back. Have a movie night. Yeah. Back to back. Yeah. Soundtrack Coward. and editing. Same editor. Yeah. Play them at the same time. What are we? We don't have Ooh. that much time. Have to overlay them yeah. and watch them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like five hours to watch both of them. So yeah, yeah. I don't have that time. I need to watch it yeah. all at one time. I, you know, I bet you if you go on YouTube, there's somebody who's overlaid them and has found all the secret stuff that is about conspiracy theories. And overlaid them backwards. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then inverted them. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate thank you, you guys. hopping this on. We'd love to have you back and have a anytime. Have a wonderful week. Yes, you too, guys. Thank you so much. It was really, really wonderful. I, I hope to be back, and I can't wait till it happens. Thank you, Steve, so much for joining us. Guys, make sure you go listen to I Need My Space. It's a wonderful podcast. If you have an inkling, an itch to learn more about space and what we're doing on Mars or future missions or maybe the ethics of space travel and colonization, what? check out that podcast. Rate and review them. Make sure they get higher up in the uh, in the charts. Yeah, maybe, but also don't forget to review us too. Exactly, that helps <laughs> us get higher in the charts, so more people can listen to us. And there's another place you can listen to us as well. What? Go check out Patreon.com/slash Hard to Say Goodbye. It's a new Game of Thrones rewatch podcast that you're not going to want to miss. Our best friend and pal Trisha Hershberger is joining us, and we're rewatching every single episode of Game of Thrones. This is my second time through, which very, is very exciting. Exactly. We are super excited for the final season of that show. We figured. Hey, we're getting through. We're having withdrawals, having to deal with the end of that show. So we figured we'd help you guys uh, get ready to say goodbye to that show by rewatching the entire series so far, diving into it with Trisha. And on the Patreon, not only do you have early access mm-hmm. to those episodes talking about that, you can watch along uh, with us as we watch Game of Thrones. And there will also be bonus episodes as Trisha breaks down the comparison to the books and the show, which actually is kind of my favorite part because it gives me different insights it into was the story. Great to hear you guys get so excited about comparing things that were changed maybe for the better maybe for the for worse mm. you're gonna have to check it out so go to patreon.com slash hard to say goodbye but of course we have our patreon at uh you know uh, slash oh, oh, answers. Answers, exactly go check that out for more content and as well tune in live 4 p.m thursdays to twitch.tv slash play noggin for the only stupid answers show you get your nerdy news you get your lifestyle and you get your gaming and there uh, my hand and i just hit the table uh, make sure you don't miss out i'm at sam basher everywhere that matters i'm at dj talks trash every place that matters for more only stupid answers go to only stupid and thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week love you bye bye